Hey there, welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares, work harder. Do you know this is the third time I've tried to record this intro, but every time I tried to record it, all my kids kept coming in and slamming doors and yelling for each other and people were coming in and out of the room and I was like, oh my God. And I just spent like the most, like the last four minutes of the last intro, just making the most beautiful tribute speech to head trainer Laura, who is actually hosting the podcast tonight, and it's on all things menopause. So now I'm going to have to think of all the wonderful things that I said about her, and I'm going to have to try and say them again, so you know just how fabulous she is. So let me tell you what we have coming up tonight, or today, or this morning, or wherever it is that you're listening to this. So head trainer Laura Hutchinson has been with the company for about a year now, but I have personally known Laura for... Uh, about six years, I would say now. I first met her in 2016 when I first started training as a bikini athlete with her ex-husband, Curtis, who was actually my first ever trainer. And you guys have heard me talk about him a lot. So Laura at that point was far more experienced than me in bodybuilding because she had done many shows. She was a PT. She was a professional gymnast. She's also a Pilates instructor. She is literally one of the hardest working women I have ever met in my entire life. And I am now absolutely and utterly honored to call her one of my closest friends. So Laura has, she took on the job of head trainer in the company about a year ago, even though she was running her own business very successfully. I took her for a walk one day and I offered her the job and she came back to me a day later or actually that night and said that yes, she would love to accept. And ever since then, it's like she's been part of the company from day one. She is one of the most kind people, one of the kindest people I've ever met in my entire life. She has such a deep sense of empathy for other people. She works so hard on her own personal struggles that stop her from being the best she can be. She works hard physically. She works hard emotionally. She's supportive to all of our members in in ways that you couldn't even imagine. Anyone who's experienced Laura will just know that she's straight talking, she's kind, but she's also to the point she doesn't bullshit it. She doesn't tell you what you want to hear. She tells you what you need to hear, but she does it in such a way that just makes you love her more. She also uh, coaches all of the coaches in the company and she wears many, many hats. Sometimes you'll find her doing customer service. She's taken on so many roles, but I guess the most important role that she has taken on recently is as resident menopause expert. Now, Laura isn't even going through menopause yet. She's still in her 30s. But she, a few years ago, actually did a whole menopause thesis as part of um, one of her training programs in her personal training certification. And she got a qualification as a menopause expert. And she has since updated that qualification and has gone deep, deep, deep into menopause study because it is something that our members are crying out for and asking about, which is why we are launching very soon a new Facebook group called Menopause Matters, which is going to be simply a group for conversation and learning learning and growth and we're going to bring in loads of experts and Laura's going to head up that group and we're also launching a 12-week menopause shred program in March 2022 with a whole range of supplements and it's going to be absolutely amazing. So Laura as guest menopause expert who has been deep in the study of all things menopause 
asked in one of our Facebook groups for questions on menopause and she was she could answer live on the podcast and that's ev- that's what she's going to do tonight. I think she covers everything from hormone hor- hormonal changes to vaginal dryness to painful sex to how to lose body fat during menopause and everything in between. So if you are perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal, thinking about menopausal, all of those different stages, then I know there isn't a postmenopausal, by the way, you're either perimenopausal or you're menopausal. Um, You are going to love this podcast. Even if you're not there yet, there could be loads of good information for you whenever you do get there. So I highly recommend that you listen to it anyway, because Laura is just so fabulous to listen to and so knowledgeable. And of course, she is also from Belfast. So she has the lilting Irish accent, but it is really quite different to me. So I'm going to leave you to chat to Laura. But before we go, I'm just going to look up and tell you who won the uh, podcast giveaway this week. And it is Brona Cromwell. Brona Cromwell Cromwell replied to the email that we send out every single week to our mailing list, which notifies you of a podcast release. And she replied to that email and she told us what she wanted to hear on the podcast. um, And that, that is forwarded to me every week, which is what shapes the content for the podcast. And every single person who replies to that email goes into a draw every single week to win a Sculpted Vegan program. So congratulations, Brona. You are this week's winner. And if you too want to win a Sculpted Vegan program, there's two ways you can do it. You can reply to the email that is sent or you can leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Send me a screen grab on Instagram. It's at the Sculpted Vegan and we will enter you into a draw to win a Sculpted Vegan program and you can choose any one that you want. So I'm going to pass over to Laura now. I'm not going to talk to you again at the end. But I will be back next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. And I've just secured <laughs> a little tidbit for you, just secured the fabulous Wim Hof, who is known for all of the ice challenges on the podcast. I'm interviewing him uh, in a couple of weeks. So look out for that one. It's going to be really exciting as well as someone else, another fa- someone else, <laughs> another fabulous guy called James English, who hosts one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Um, and Michaela Peterson is coming up as well. I've got some really amazing podcast guests coming up, but I'm going to come back and chat to you next week and do a little one-on-one with Mama Kim because we haven't done that in a while. So I'm going to record that this weekend and that'll be back next week. But for now, I'm going to pass you over to Laura. I'm going to say have fun with her. Enjoy her. She is amazing. Thank you, Laura, for doing this. I love you so much. And I will chat to you all next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Okay. Hi guys, I'm Laura Hutchinson, the head trainer of The Sculpted Vegan, and I am delighted to be hosting the podcast this week. Last week, you had our lovely coach Vanessa with the most amazing podcast talking about self-sabotage, amongst other things. If you haven't listened to it, make sure to catch up on it. And this week, you have me. The original plan for um, our podcast were to be Q&As, and I am still doing a Q&A, but I specifically wanted to do mine about menopause. I this week put a post in the Sculpted Vegan Insiders group to ask about menopause, what are people's burning questions from anything perimenopause to postmenopause, what do they need help with? And I think in 24 hours, I got about 84 questions. <laughs> so there are many questions to be answered. That is why we are currently developing a menopause Facebook group, a menopause program, a menopause supplement range. We are developing so much in the pipeline to help you guys, but I am going to answer the sort of most burning questions and common questions that came up today. So on this podcast, I am going to talk about all things menopause. What is it? 
whether you are perimenopause, menopause, if you class yourself as menopause or even post-menopause, and you might be not anywhere near any of those stages, but it's great to have all of that information. We're going to talk hot flashes, HRT, and also vaginal dryness. <laughs> Why not, with my first podcast, go straight in with the vaginal dryness. <laughs> We're going to talk about that and libido. I am so pleased that menopause is finally being talked about. I have been studying it for years researching it and even in the most recent of years there's so much more information studies research which is finally out there and it equally is amazing but it equally blows my mind at the same time because it's not like it's something new <laughs> it's something that's just suddenly started happening to women it has been happening since pretty much the dawn of time but only now in 2021 on time of recording this podcast are we finally talking about it so please, ladies, it is not a disease. It is nothing abnormal of anybody's body. It is nothing that we need to fear and hide away and be embarrassed about talking about. That is why I've chosen vaginal dryness to start with in this podcast today, because we should not be ashamed of any of these um, issues, any of these things about our body that are happening you know, it's better out than in sharing all this information, open conversation, and we really want to encourage that and promote that here at The Sculpted Vegan. So what is menopause? What, you know, what does that word conjure up in your mind when you think about it? For some of us, it is like the most awful time of our lives. Some women will have a terrible time. Some women will breeze through it. It really is the most individual and unique time that there is. It is very it's impossible really to predict in any way what way a woman will find that experience. And it really is no sign of, you know, being any better of a woman, any less of a woman if you have a terrible time or you breeze through it. That is not in any way a reflection on a person of how easy or hard a time you have through menopause. It's just such a unique and individual experience. Now, when I first started studying money, excuse me, studying menopause about eight years ago, you know, you really only ever focused on menopause. There wasn't even this word really flung about of the perimenopause. Um, some women like to just, when they've been through the menopause, refer to themselves as menopausal. Some people like to refer themselves as post-menopause. Whatever you want to call it, it's the same thing. You can call everything whatever you're most comfortable with and what makes sense to you. For myself and the purpose of this podcast, I will be using the terms of perimenopause, and um, menopause, menopause transition, and postmenopause just to sort of break these different um, times in a woman's life into sections and hopefully make it a little bit easier to understand. But if you prefer to call it something else, you rock on with that. Now, menopause has been around for a very, very, very long time. Let's start with what is it simply. Super simple, it's when you stop having periods and you're no longer able to get pregnant naturally. In the UK, the average age is 51. Around the world, you know, these ages can differ slightly, but it is sort of around that age of that early 50s. Now, that is if you've had a natural menopause. 
For some women, there can be um, early menopause, so before that age. For some women, you know, medical procedures, surgical procedures, they can be then, you know, quite rapidly um, find themselves in menopause overnight, even sometimes with some of those procedures, or it's more of a an early induced menopause due to that. Everybody's different, you know, averages are an average, it's that midpoint. There's going to be so many people who fall either side of that midpoint where menopause is going to happen earlier, it's going to happen later, you know, it's it's just so unique. You can definitely not predict it and if it's not a 51, that again is so okay and so normal. And then the definition of being menopausal is when you have not had a period for 12 consecutive months. So unfortunately, it can be a quite a confusing time when you're trying to work out, you know, when you go from that perimenopause, which can also be referred to as the menopause transition, because it is transition, it is a, cha- a change in time, which again can last for months, many months, many years. Again, very individual to a woman. But it can be really, really confusing and tricky time of like when... When is my menopause? When is that final period? Because for some women, you know, they might not have one period and then they have nothing for three months and then a period comes out of nowhere. You know, then maybe they'll not have another period for two months and then have a period. And then they'll not have another period for like five months <laughs> and then they'll have a period. And it can be such a confusing time to know like, where am I? What is going on with my body? When that happens, we always have to look at it, but it's 12 consecutive months. So unfortunately, say you've had a period and then you don't have one for, say, five months and one ha- one comes, then you have to restart that count again. So unfortunately, it's always 12 consecutive months that marks that menopause. That final um, 12 months from that final menstrual period is what is classed as the menopause and then being me- menopausal. So with this, there definitely has been a myth, which I've heard, um, which I've actually just through my research really discovered um, only recently that it's not a myth. And that myth has been that, you know, menopause has only started happening to women sort of in recent maybe hundreds of years because we never lived, we never lived this long. And it's really, really not true. We have to always think about ladies, you know, Think even in the past 100 years, how much things have changed for women. Think even now, in 2021, how much that there is not much research about menopause, how little studies there is on menopause, how the majority of medical studies are done on men, (laughs) how the majority of, you know, medication and different things, again, are for men. There is still so much changing and so much change needs to be done that, again, it just blows my mind that in 2021, we're only getting going about menopause. So we do have to look back in history and unfortunately how little women were valued, you know, how women were maybe only valued for our fertility back then, for being baby making machines (laughs) back in the early centuries. Back in the eras of the cavemen, you know, we were not the badass, strong women taking over the world that we are now. So when we do look back in history, when we do look back into medical history, and there's maybe a lack of information about women, it kind of is because of that. It's not, again, because, 
you know, women weren't living to a certain age or that menopause wasn't happening. It's just that it was a lot of men writing a lot of that medical history and those history books. And we unfortunately were not very important back then. Thank goodness the times have changed. So from records, you know, from really early civilization, there is records to show that, unfortunately, it's about men. But if men were to pass infancy and survive infancy, they had the potential to live to 60 or 70 years. But then we've got to think about back then, you know, in the times of kings and queens and scholars or you know, in the Greek times, there was a lot of wars, there was a lot of fighting going on. So, you know, those factors, once again, were affecting, affecting whether someone lived to a certain age rather than, you know, the biology of a human. You know, it was just quite hard going back then. Now, when I went into more studying of, of menopause, you know, there is mentions in really, really um, early studies and data um writing of you know ancient greek times and um, ancient chinese um medical records where there is records of the loss of menstruation with age now these women back then i feel so sorry for for them these old medical records they're all very much about you know women they believe that women were very moist so we were a bit squidgy so we were a bit moist so then they realized and they thought that then blood, when we obviously had our menstrual cycle and we had our period, they thought that was women losing moisture. <laughs> so every month we were just leaking moisture from our bodies. So in depending different cultures, they either saw this as a positive thing, you know, because we were so moist <laughs> and squidgy, or they saw it as like a negative thing. So then when it came to women with um, menopause and, you know, the menstrual period stopping, they thought there was either, you know, either that was a great thing because we were not le leaking that moisture anymore or, oh my goodness, they're bunged up, they're blocked up, the moisture is stuck inside of them. <laughs> so these poor women, they would have like leeches put on them to try and draw out that, that moisture. You'd have all these crazy things done to them, you know, to try and fix what was perceived as something wrong with them, which was a very natural process of menopause. High traumatic. Now, in Western medical literature, menopause was then first mentioned around sort of 1582 and um, started to appear, just again with that sort of writing about the loss of menstruation of age. But it wasn't until 1812 when a French physician, a Dr. de Gardon, <laughs> if I've said that right, actually sort of termed the phrase which was now connected with menopause. My French is not great. My dad was a French teacher, but um, I ended up actually being a pupil in his classes, and I think that scarred me for life for learning French. I'm not very good at languages, but he first coined it as le menopause <laughs> or something like that, which then was shortened to menopause. Now, it is a bit of a mystery of why this term stayed around. It's like just was one term that he decided and the whole world, actually not all of the world, because again, in different cultures, maybe not as Western, you know, different terms are used, but definitely, you know, I'm talking to members here in the UK in America, Australia, New Zealand, and our listeners, it is that more sort of used term. But this French guy chose that term, it stuck. But even his literature where he used this term and where he wrote about menopause, it was so negative. It was all about women, you know, withering up and shriveling up and, you know, becoming useless, you know, within society. It was so terrible. But 
you know, think even the use to recent years about menopause in the media, in films, in TV programs. I even think of my own mother. Like, I, I really don't know much about her menopause experience because she just did not talk about it. I definitely remember her talking about it and calling it like the change. <laughs> you know, I, I know people and, you know, their mothers would maybe, you know, talk about it behind closed doors. Like they'd send them out of the room if they were going to talk about it. You know, it was just so hush, hush, so taboo for so many reasons, you know, that this is only starting to change. And I just actually find that so upsetting because... You only live once and to think at times how many women have suffered in silence, how have felt so bad about their bodies once doing something so natural where they have struggled along and felt they're maybe abnormal, their disease, again, of something that is so natural and has been around for so long. It's just like puberty. It's just another, like the equivalent of puberty that we learn about in school that's talked about so openly and we're taught about and there's so inf much information out there. You know, there needs to be that in reflection in relation with menopause, but there's just not. That is changing, which is amazing, but I just still find it so mind-blowing that's only happening now in 2021. It is just absolutely so, so, so crazy. If we think about it, this is, you know, a process, a natural bodily process that really every woman in the world is going to go through, including the time, you know, that perimenopause, that menopausal transition, you know, till after a woman is going to spend about a third of her life in in peri to postmenopause, whatever you want to refer to. That is a third of our life, a third of our life that we've not been talking about before, a third of, a life of our lives where we've been suffering, where we've been maybe just sucking it up or struggling on, you know, a third of our life where when women are really suffering, it's affecting, you know, their friends, their family, their mental health. You know, women are giving up work because they're struggling so much with symptoms. You know, they're going to their, their medical professionals and they're asking for help that they're not receiving. It's just so, so terrible. I hope you can tell, you know, how passionate I am about it and how passionate we are about it in the Sculpted Vegan and the help that we want to, to provide you guys with it because times really, really need to change. And they're only going to change, guys, when we join together and we talk about it. You need to talk about it. Even if it's just those small conversations between your closest girlfriends, um, friends, family, you know, that you can talk about, then branching into the workplace, branching into talking to work providers, bosses, events, the medical professionals, you know, let's start small, but we can really make so much noise about it. The menopause, as I've said earlier, the average age in the UK is around that kind of 51 age. Now, before the word um, perimenopause ever sort of came on the horizon, I would say like a lot of women have thought about, you know, a lot of their symptoms are at that 50-ish that age, at that menopause age. But really, the majority of the symptoms that we connect to menopause happen in perimenopause. So before that final, you know, that, that 12 months, consecutive months after that final menstrual period, there's a whole length of time before then, depending on the woman, where there's this perimenopause, this menopausal transition. 
And a lot of women don't know that. And again, it's a very, very confusing time to know what is going on. Am I in this perimenopausal transition? There is a lot going on here. Now, with the perimenopause, the only thing predictable about it is that it's unpredictable. It is unique and varying in the length of time and experience from woman to woman. It is a very confusing time. It is a roller coaster. And there's like up to 34 symptoms <laughs> that can appear in the perimenopause. To list some of these symptoms, you know, vaginal dryness, lack of libido, feelings of depression, anxiety, hot flashes, night sweats, aches and pain. There is just a list that could go on, brain fog, lack of concentration, mood swings. You know, there are so many symptoms that happen within this time. And let me repeat again. Let me actually emphasize a point while I repeat again. With women, we're a great group of women. We're a great group of people. But you know what? Sometimes women love nothing better than judging each other. <laughs> When it comes to breastfeeding, when it comes to kids, when it comes to menopause, women love nothing better than ganging up on each other and judging each other. And it needs to stop. Sometimes as an outsider looking in, when I am in menopausal groups, when I am hearing people in the comment sections, comment sections are wild, aren't they? In Facebook and different social media accounts, there's so much judgment thrown about. No woman is better or worse than any other woman, whether she had one symptom or all 34 symptoms. It is not a badge of honor or, you know, a reflection that that woman's body is a certain way if she had one symptom and a woman's body is a certain way if she had those 34 symptoms. There is no rhyme or reason to it. I cannot wait for our community that we're going to create around menopause and we will be very much upholding this ethos. But there is no judgment. There is no shame about anybody's body. Nobody's body is better or worse no matter what experience they have of this transitional period. And really, really do keep that in mind. So with these symptoms, they can be varying in length. They can be all over this place all over the place. During this time, periods will become lighter. They can become more irregular until eventually they can stop. And once again, remember I said about sort of that time, if you're maybe trying to track and you're trying to sort of pinpoint that, that menopause point, you know, you have to keep that count that it's 12 consecutive months from what you perceive to be your final menstrual periods. So over this time, basically our ovaries, they're starting to wind down. They're starting to stop. And when this happens naturally, it doesn't happen overnight. Now, for some people, and I know some of our members, quite a few members of our communities, it can happen overnight. With medical procedures, surgical procedures, it literally can happen overnight. It's a very traumatic time period. You know, you're maybe trying to deal with that medical procedure, that surgical procedure that's happened, and then menopause right on top of it. And in my experience, to listening to members of this, you know, 
a lot of the time they're given like a lot of information about the medical procedure that's maybe happened to them, maybe the hysterectomy and the removal of their ovaries that has happened, but then nothing <laughs> about the impending menopause that's going to happen overnight. And it's a very confusing and very traumatic time. There are people who can go through early menopause and again with medical conditions and various things some people can be going through early menopause from even 30s you know into the 40s so oh my goodness it's just so different various you know varying from woman to woman but in a more natural state of menopause and again no better a woman with or without that time or whatever that menopause happens whether it's natural or not natural it is no value on you as a woman but when that does happen a little bit more naturally, the ovaries do start to um, gradually slow down. So in their productions of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Now, with the average age of menopause, uh, perimenopause, it does tend to happen around the age of 45 years of age. But once again, you know, it could be earlier than that. It could be later than that. It is no, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just going to happen for you when it happens. Now with this, these um, hormones, they do not drop in a steady line. Estrogen especially is like a crazy roller coaster. It's up, it's down, it's side to side. <laughs> There's no predicting where it can happen. At times, you know, um, progesterone can fall a little bit more steadily. At times, the progesterone can fall below the estrogen levels, making us more estrogen dominant. At times, our estrogen and progesterone can fall below the t testosterone levels, which then make us more testosterone dominant. It is all over the place. Now, when this happens, you know, it is just a very confusing time. There are all the symptoms going on. And, you know, I could be here forever. <laughs> that would be me answering all those 84 questions that... I received but just know that we are taking all of this information into account and all this information to help you as we create our program as we create the amazing community that we want to provide for everybody and as we create our supplement range to really really try and help everybody with these symptoms and to support you through this time one of the symptoms the biggest symptom the most and um, sort of a burning question that came up when I did ask for what people wanted help with in relation to menopause was hot flushes. Now, I like to call them hot flashes because kind of hot flushes, it sounds quite flush and nice and airy-fairy and wishy-washy and floaty and hot flushes, hot flashes are definitely nothing like that. Like flash to me kind of conjures up like flash floods and a flash just definitely sounds a bit more dramatic and what is the experience of many many women now I know this was a common question because it is such a common symptom three out of four women will experience hot flashes and night symptoms that is 80% of women will experience that so once again guys get talking open up to your girlfriends open up to your employer i'll come to that a little bit later in this conversation but it is so normal there is nothing wrong with you at all if you experience hot flashes or night sweats let me say that again up to 80 percent of women can experience three out of four women can experience these there is nothing wrong with you if you do is one of the most common and most instantly recognizable symptoms. A hot flash is a feeling of intense heat that can come on so suddenly. It really commonly 
comes from a spread from the face, then spreading to the neck, spreading to the chest, spreading to my bo- the body. When I listen to my past um, personal training clients describing it, some of my, my best friends talking about it, they would describe it like that. You know, they're maybe sitting in a restaurant. They've got all dolled up for dinner. They're so excited to go out to this nice restaurant with their partner. They're sitting there and suddenly, oh, there's this hot flash comes over them. They're maybe sitting in work, you know, middle of the day, getting stuck in, trying to be productive. All of a sudden, it's just like this heat. This heat comes over them. It starts at their face, this big burning sensation, this intense, hot, fire sensation. And it just starts to spread down their neck, down their chest, to their body. For some women, it'll be like a flush of the face. So, you know, you've got all your makeup on, you've made an effort, you've got dolled up, and next minute you are feeling like you're beetroot red. For some women, it'll be like a sweat. You know, I can have friends and they've been in their their white shirt and the next minute it's that shirt is just soaked through in the middle of an office or in the middle of a restaurant and they're just so embarrassed they're so mortified they don't know what to do for some women it can be dizziness it can be um it can be sickness and then for a lot of women this can really bring up feelings of anxiety feelings of panic you know what am i going to do you know i'm sitting here in the middle of my office and i don't have another change of clothes with me you know i'm out for dinner you know with other people or with my partner and suddenly you know that feeling like you want to get out of the restaurant you want to go out go home like they are just not nice and some women they can you know experience it maybe just once a month for some people every hour I know people and, you know, they've quit their jobs. They've quit their jobs because they just cannot handle this unexpected feeling of these hot flashes coming over them. And they just, their workplace is just not set up to support them in this. And, oh my gosh, like again, I just think, how, how saddening, you know? Maybe that woman, she's had this most amazing, successful career. She's carved out, she's strove all her life to create this career for herself and then she comes this menopause transition and these hot flashes can continue on you know after when a woman is in menopause and she's menopausal or postmenopause or whatever you want to call it they can continue in some women up until their 70s and it's just such a terrible thing to think how much they're really affecting women and in their lives so with this as well you can have the experience of night sweats so you know, you're trying to get that rest and recovery, you're trying to sleep, it's so good for you, and then boom, <laughs> you're waking up in the middle of the night drenched in sweat. You know, you maybe have a partner, he sleeps in bed with you, and they're drenched in sweat <laughs> as well. You know, I know women and, you know, they're having to change the seat, the sheets when they wake up the next day, it's soaked right through to the mattress. You know, maybe you're building a new relationship with a new partner, and suddenly you're trying to feel all sexy and the next minute you're waking up in these these night sweats. It is just the joys of being a woman. But we need to talk about it because the more that we talk about it, we can work on it. You know, with this, with menopause, there are going to be things, some things are out of control, but there are going to be some things that we can control and we can look at them. But we need to talk about it to be able to open those avenues of conversation. So with hot flashes and night sweats, there's much debate over sort of what causes them. 
So with our hot flashes, there is a theory that with falling estrogen levels that happen in that menopausal transition, that that falling estrogen level impacts on another hormone. And this hormone is called noradrenaline, which I might not have pronounced quite, quite right. And this noradrenaline, it helps to regulate body temperature. So whenever there's low noradrenaline levels, this can cause your body temperature to rise, resulting in a hot flash. So it's basically kind of like faulty signaling, if you think of it like that. And if you think of earlier when I said about that estrogen and the way those levels fall, and they do not fall in a straight line, they are like a crazy roller coaster. So some women are going to be affected more than other with those falls of estrogen, and then some people are just going to have that estrogen roller coaster that they're riding all over the place. So if those estrogen levels are up and down and side to side, that then is potentially affecting these nor noradrenaline levels and there's just those hot flashes coming from nowhere. Now, with this, there are triggers that can affect and things that we can look at. So we always want to be proactive. You know, In the Sculpted Vegan, there's room to vent, there's room to talk about emotions, there's room to create space for what you're struggling with. But we do not suffer. We are always trying to encourage you. We're trying to help you. You know, what are our solutions? What can we not control? Okay, we might need to accept that. We might need to accept that there's certain things in our body that are out of our control. But what can we control? What can we do to help ourselves? How much more powerful is that to look at the things that we can control, you know, and just accept and let go in some ways rather than lamenting and dwelling on the things that we can't control. So certain things can trigger these hot flashes, such as spicy food, hot drinks, caffeine and alcohol. Like I know whenever I drink alcohol and when I wake up the next day and I maybe look at my my Apple Watch, I look at my aura ring and I look at my, my body temperature, it has been higher overnight due to that alcohol we do ladies have to look at our lifestyle you know I'm only 34 I can't get away with the things I used to when I was 24 <laughs> you know we do have to look at our life and how we have lived it over the years and there is going to be certain things that at times we do just need to adapt we do need to adapt for the sake of our everyday living and the things that we want to get from that so everybody's going to be different, but again, there can be those triggers of spicy food, hot drinks, caffeine, and alcohol. And I'm going to move on to next, because that's sort of some triggers, and that's all well and good. But for some women, that is not going to do anything. So this moves me on to my next quite controversial subject, and that is HRT, Hormone Replacement Therapy, or I believe in America, at times it can be called MHT, which is Menopausal Hormone Therapy. Now, I want to say again, with this, I'm not a medical professional. You know, the information will be provided within the Sculpted Vegan, it will be not medical advice. You need to make informed decisions. You need to do your own research. At times, you need to work with your own medical professionals. You know, you need to work with your medical professional. If you wish to, you might not want to. Your medical professional might have no clue and they're rubbish. Then you need to change one. You need to get a different one. But you want to get all your options. You want to weigh up all your options. Information, knowledge is power. And we so encourage you to do that here. Do your own research. What is HRT or MHT? Whatever you want to call it is basically a use of hormones to manage symptoms 
that um, are preventing certain health complications related to the menopause, the menopause transition, or post-menopause. You know, menopause really is, it's like a hormone deficiency with potentially medical complications. There is hormone deficiencies. You know, our hormones as a woman, there's many, but what we're concerned with when it comes to menopause or estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and they just go absolutely haywire and they basically stop being produced as we go through this menopausal transition. So that that is what's going on. Now, HRT has been so controversial because basically around sort of the early 2000s, there was a study done by the Women's Health, it was called the Women's Health Initiative Study. And this study was done and was connected with um, HRT and its links to sort of heart disease and blood clot, clot and breast cancer. And this study was started probably about, I think, 1998, but then it was finished early and um, halted early around 2002. Now, when it was halted, it was a big deal. There was a lot of drama. <laughs> it was like a medical, um, like a press conference held about this study and about it being halted. And it was very, very unheard of, you know. I really, unless I do my research, I have no idea of the many, many um, research studies and health studies that are going on currently. So it was a very big deal and very, very different, you know, for there to be this whole press conference announced around the world about this study and about it being halted. And I really, really encourage you to do your own research into this. So it's the Women's Health Initiative Study. I want you to do your own uh, research into it. I'm only going to touch on it. I'm not going to delve into it. That's definitely a conversation for another time. And in our menopausal Facebook group that we're going to create, we're going to invite worldwide leaders, experts in menopause. You're going to be able to explain this so much better than me and in so much um, greater detail than me. So I'm just going to sort of breeze over it, but I think it is important to raise it because I see so many women, they're scared of it. And Kim has always taught me that fear comes from lack of data. And when there's a lack of data, we need to strive to find more data. And I want you to do that. I want you to go away and do your own research about this. So there's many reasons why this study was halted. And there's many reasons why we need to look critically. We always need to critically think. We always need to ask questions around studies. Because this study, the average age of the women in this study were around 63. Now, again, let's think about, you know, the average age of menopause and that final, you know, 12 months since that final menstrual period is 51 in a woman. So it's a lot higher that age, that average age that they used of women in these studies. So those women of 63 were already at a higher risk, that sort of age bracket of a higher risk of many of the things that they were studying to see if HRT could increase those risks. So already that's very, very problematic. Because that age at 63 is really an age where, you know, HRT might not or probably might not for some women be a very good answer for them. Now, also, there was a lot of money, millions of pounds invested into this study. And it was around the time of a recession. So there is, again, some sort of rumors and different sort of conversations that have been held and had that at times, you know, that big dramatic press conference, you know, that was held to sort of save face, you know, to be like, right, nope, I had to stop it for this reason. You know, it, was it wasn't, you know, because we messed anything up or there was a feeling in our research that we wasted money or lost money. Nope, it was this reason and X, Y, and Z. There's 
very just a lot of controversial things around this study. But what we can know now, we're in 2021. You know, pretty much 20 years has passed since then. There's been so many studies, so much research done now about HRT or MHT, whatever way you want to call it. What I really want to emphasize, we will not be given medical advice. You know, that's what for medical professionals are for. And what I would say, a lot of medical professionals are not qualified in menopause. You know, only maybe a third have. And personally, at times it's not their fault. It is actually that in their, you know, when they're getting qualified, madly, crazily, menopause is like breezed over. You know, just there's like a little, a page <laughs> of menopause that maybe is taught. And I just, again, find that blows my mind. It's something that affects all women if we live to that age and we're in, you know, in a stage of a third of our life. And yet medical professionals are just not learning about it and getting, you know, given the help and the knowledge that they need to help women through this time. It is absolutely crazy. So we as women, we do need to empower ourselves. I know Kim hates that word. <laughs> we do need to, you know, we need to do our own research. We need to get strength. You know, we need to get that data of what works for our bodies, what our body needs and what we can move forwards with. So when we are going to medical professionals, you know, we can bring topics up with them. We can question them. We can, you know, disagree with them. And I totally, totally get it, you know, it's awkward. It's scary sometimes, you know, having a doctor's appointment. We put them off. We dread them. But ladies, we only live once, you know, and a moment of embarrassment, a moment of discomfort, a moment of feeling a wee bit awkward about asking something or querying something or standing up for yourself, you know, is that not worth, you know, the, a third of your life of getting an answer and making that a little bit easier? Please, please do not avoid these awkward conversations. Kim last week gave me a beautiful piece of information. She always, she always is just, I wish she could just record her talking all the time. <laughs> she always just drops these phases. I'm like, whoa, that was amazing. And she gave me a bit of advice of, you know, your life is going to be defined. The success of your life is going to be defined by the amount and the number of difficult conversations that you're prepared to make. And we need to have that with menopause. We need to be prepared to have these difficult conversations, whether it's with our nearest and dearest, whether it's with medical providers, we need to be open to that. So with that, guys, keep an open mind. HRT for some people, you know, the benefits are going to outweigh the risks. HRT for some people, that is not going to be the case. Some people want to go the more holistic route, but again, that is no better or worse than going a more medical route. Some people are going to go a more medical route, pharmaceutical route, and again, that is no better or worse than somebody going that more natural route. And we will be keeping that ethos up in our community. There is no judgment over what route anybody chooses to take because every woman's journey is so individual and there's no value or worth on you of whatever route you need to take. Now, let's talk vaginal dryness. <laughs> now, did you know? Because I don't think I did. Your vagina is not the bits that, that touch your underwear. That is your vulva. Let's start with that. 
I have I have this book. It's called the Vagina Bible, which I really really like, and um, that that's what I get my kicks from reading books like that. It's like my bedtime reading. I'm such a geek. And it's a really really cool book. Um, book I can't quite remember. Um, I'm sorry, I looked to the side there to see if I had the book, but I can't quite remember the author at the moment. But you know, if you think about it, like let's think about kids, girls, myself growing up. You know, you know. Myself growing up, like a body was something that was hidden away. It was a, it wasn't talking about. It was hidden underneath clothes. You know, Northern Ireland is very behind and very a lot of religion here. You know, so there's a lot of connections sometimes of bodies and shame and religion. And my parents were very like a authoritarian sort of um, growing up sort of childhood. So there's a lot of um a lot about bodies and even kids you know we don't teach them the words like vagina or vulva it's like lily bits <laughs> or down there you know even from at such an early age we're not talking properly to girls about their 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 parts their prop their anatomy their natural body when it comes to science and biology again what we're getting taught in school is not the correct and appropriate wording so this might be a knowledge bomb to you, it definitely was to me, but I used to say vagina, and when I was thinking of vagina, I was thinking like that was my bits, which touched my underwear, but that's not your vagina, vagina's like the tube, <laughs> that's your vulva, and that absolutely blew my mind, and how mad to be a woman of 34, and only recently sort of connected the dots on that one, you might be in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and you've only connected the dots on that, we need to talk about this. This needs to change. You know, we need girls and children to know their bodies and know the correct parts. And there is no shame in talking about them or knowing that. Let's start there. And then that's going to continue on upwards for puberty into menopause. Now, vaginal dryness, it was something that came up in the comment sections um, in the, the question I'd asked in the insiders group. And I am so proud. I am so proud of the women who asked those questions and spoke up about it and were open and honest about their experiences. Because again, when we do that, we can talk about it. We can start those conversations. Because it wasn't the most burning question, I must admit, but I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to choose something that other people might be you know, feeling comfortable talking about. I do not at all. I wanted to choose a question that maybe other women had wanted to say in that comment section, but felt embarrassed about it, felt awkward about it, didn't want to admit to it. I want to go in on that question because up to 80% of women can experience vaginal dryness. So again, if that is you, you are so normal. There is nothing wrong with you or your body. If you experience vaginal dryness, there is nothing wrong with you. I want everybody to be to be preaching, <laughs> putting their hands up in the group now. If that is something that you experience, let us know because when we're in the menopause group, we can help each other through that. So thank you so much for sharing for whoever did because you know this is this has created this conversation within this podcast. So thank you. I applaud you for that. The vaginal dryness, it really can be an issue at various times of our life. I can definitely experience it myself during times of my menstrual cycle. Women can experience it when they're postnatal, you know, when they're breastfeeding, and basically when estrogen levels are very low and you know they're not ovulating. Estrogen is just this hormone that affects so much within the body. It is just, it's crazy. It just affects everything. 
Now, vaginal dryness, it can be very confusing because a lot of the times when I've heard people who have discovered they've got vaginal dryness in relation to the perimenopausal transition, they've actually thought it's been fresh. You know, that kind of discharge from the vagina, the itching irritation around the vulva, you know, they've, they've, they've thought that's been fresh and they've maybe been going to the doctors for canistin and different things to treat fresh and it's just not helped it because when it comes to vaginal dryness in relation to estrogen levels, it's because there's falling estrogen levels sort of localized in that area which is causing it. So unfortunately, they're trying to get help for fresh but that is not the issue with it. Now, oh my goodness, vaginal dryness. Oh, just even the word dryness. It is a problem. It is a it is a hard symptom. You know, I've heard friends, women, and it's you know their clothes. It hurts to wear their clothes. It hurts when their underwear is rubbing against them. You know, we are a fitness company. We're trying to train hard in our programs. We're trying to do all this cardio for our health and our body goals that we want to achieve. And it may be like our our. Our leggings are rubbing against us. You know, we're trying to do our cardio, we're trying to walk, and we're trying to train. It's so uncomfortable, it's so painful. I have friends, and it's been hard to sit down because it's been so sore to sit down. You know, you want to have sex, your partner has sex in whatever romantic relationship you're in. And it's like having sex with a red hot poker is so uncomfortable. But women are doing it because they just want to like please their partner. They want to try and keep their sex life up. But they not they don't enjoy it. It's the worst experience for them. Or for some women, they just avoid it. And they've avoided it for years because of this. And then, you know, there's just the worries and the anxieties and the complications of that, you know, within, within relationships with it. Even smear tests. I know women too have avoided smear tests due to that vaginal dryness. And just, oh... The thought of going for a smear test are awkward enough at times as they are without that dryness with it. But oh my goodness, how important is it to go for those smear tests? Like we have to, we need to. So we do need to look at this. So please again, just know that up to 80% of women can experience this. Ask your girlfriends, open up these conversations. When we have the menopausal group, share in the group, let's talk about it and let's share about it. And just know that it is so normal. And the things that we can do about it, you know, we have to acknowledge that our lining is a bit more um, delicate down there and our skin is definitely different in its pH levels. So we do not have to be aware sort of of the, the pH products that we are using around the vagina and around the vulva. It is skin at the same time. So the way that we would body moisturize our skin, you know, we do have to be mindful of down there that it does need moisturize. But the moisturizer that you put on your skin is potentially not going to be a good idea from down there. So there's definitely sort of products out there that you can look at of a good quality moisturizer, which is not going to annoy the delicate skin down there. Now, for some women, again, you know, that's not going to be enough. A little moisturizer is not going to touch the sides of that dryness and that pain that you're experiencing. I can't give medical professional help because that is not what I am. But that is, again, something that you maybe need to reach out to a medical professional about. You've got um, urogynecologists who would specialize in different things like that because there is topical vaginal estrogens that you can use down there. And for some people, maybe HRT will be an answer for that. So please, please just know, I can't give that advice in that way, but you're not alone. It is such a normal thing. Talk about it the more we can talk about it, then we're going to just know that we're not on our own. It's so important. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's nothing to be shameful. We should be proud of our bodies and every single part of it. 
and what's going on, you know, we need to talk about it. And with vaginal dryness, you know, nearly that and libido can go hand in hand. Because if your vagina is pretty dry and sex is feeling really not very enjoyable, your libido is not going to be sky high. If you are burnt out, if you are tired, so let's even forget the vaginal dryness. Let's even forget, you know, how hormones can affect libido. Libido is not just hormones, you know, it's a whole, it's a mental thing. But if you are so burnt out, if you're run ragged looking after your your children, if you have any, your parents, if you, you, you have them, if you're looking after everybody but yourself, you know, maybe trying to deal with all these other symptoms of tiredness and soreness and mood swings and you're not sleeping at night because of your, your night sweats and you're, you know, you're in work and you're stressing about this night flash coming on, then we are just not going to be in the mood. So libido can definitely in that way go hand in hand. Libido can be affected if the changes in estrogen and testosterone. Now, I have been diving deep in testo- into testosterone. I am loving learning about it. Did you know, and I did not know this until a couple of months ago, we make three times more testosterone than estrogen within our bodies. It's not as much as men make, but we still make three times more testosterone in our bodies than estrogen. That blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. It is not just a male hormone. It's not that you know, testosterone is a male hormone and estrogen is a female hormone. They are, that is our hormone as well. But once more, there's a lot of, you know, lack of information about that. That's really, we're only at the, the tip, the crest of a wave of this information about testosterone about to come out. But testosterone affects so much within women's bodies, muscle building that we're interested in. It affects our brain, you know, our, our bone density, it affects so much stuff, but it really as well can affect libido. For some women, you know, our ovaries, well, sorry, for all women, our ovaries produce estrogen and testosterone. So then when we're going through that menopausal transition and those levels are dropping, you know, both estrogen and testosterone are dropping. For some people, you know, at different rates and different levels more than others. And some women will be more affected by that drop in estrogen. Some people will be more affected by that drop in testosterone. And, you know, some women will be affected by both. (laughs) Now, with that effect, you know, it just can really, really affect with the libido. Once again, I can't give you the real medical advice on this as much as I have researched that you know, that is something to look into potentially yourself and with my medical providers and that help with it. Testosterone here in the UK, there is a Dr. Louise Newson who does so much campaigning here in the UK and spreads a lot of information and she is very much campaigning for testosterone to be available because at the moment it's not available in the UK to women unless it's um, prescribed sort of um, off registrar, which means it's just not typically prescribed to women. I might not have quite worded that right, so my apologies, because um, again, I'm not a medical professional. And it's maybe only sort of available privately. So she is doing so much campaigning to get that changed. I don't know what it's like for you guys in America, because it is a woman's hormone. It is our hormone. Testosterone is our hormone, but it's just not available to us right now. And again, that's just mind-blowing, isn't it? That we just don't have access to all these different hormones and help with them when they are what's helped us all our life up until this point fun- function. You know, that estrogen, that progesterone, that testosterone. So with libido, you know, do just be mindful of that, that it's not just a hormonal thing. 
it could be hormones really affecting it but do look ladies you know at what i call your emotional fitness you know as much as we're we're here you know in these programs and looking at our physical fitness and our body and all that how is your emotional fitness are you always putting yourself last are you putting everybody else before you are you running yourself ragged where is your you time when do you relax when do you switch off when you know are you an overthinker are you a worrier you know all these different things we do need to look at them just in general but if you are someone who's struggling with your libido if you're not in the mood in that way you're not going to be in the mood for sexual relationships in that way either so do you want you to look at them so guys that is me wrapping up the end of this podcast i have so loved it i'm just obsessed with menopause you know we've touched on what is menopause and the perimenopause you know postmenopause some people use that term some people just like to say that they're menopausal you know just when they are you know after that time period of that you know 12 consecutive months after their final menstrual period we've touched on hot flashes and night sweats we've touched very briefly on hrt and we've went in on the vaginal dryness and libido now i really really hope you have enjoyed this podcast i would love you to let me know if you had and i really really hope that you've enjoyed listening to me because what i can find whenever i post in the groups and ask some questions and even when Kim can post um, about menopause and the new um, group and the program we're, we're trying to create, we inevitably get some comments, not many, but a handful of comments, basically along the lines of, well, you haven't been through it, so you know, how, how do you know what you're talking about? Or I hope you're going to get somebody else to talk about it and not you. <laughs> I am 34. So yes, I am not through the menopause. But let me put this like really to an extreme example. I don't have to have had cancer to help somebody who is going through that. You know, doctors, scientists do not have to have had cancer or menopause to help women with that. And I get it because I know and I get that so many women have went to people, medical professionals, their employers, friends, family, who have not been through the peri to postmenopause transition and they haven't understood they haven't listened to them, they haven't got them. And, you know, then they have that little bit of kind of like their backup that, oh, you know, here's other people come along and they're going to tell me what to do and what to do. And they just don't get it. They don't understand. But a good coach does. A good coach listens. Kim always gives me the advice that you try the person on. When you're trying to help someone, you always think, what would that be like? How would it be in their shoes? So yes, I have not yet been through the menopause transition, but I will. So it takes people like me, people younger, people older, all of us to pull together to help each other, to pave the way that this is something so normal that is talked about. And a benefit that I can bring to you is that I have no bias. I have no personal bias of what has worked for me or didn't work for me. There's nothing clouding my judgment, as it shouldn't as a coach, but sometimes we can have personal biases with our own experience. I don't have that. So I'm always going to give you the most balanced um, advice, options, knowledge that I can give you at the same time, the most support and love I can give you through this period as well. So please keep an open mind, everybody. Everything's hard enough as a woman without us sort of judging each other, um, you know, not helping each other out, supporting each other. Let's 
gather together. We need to support each other through this time with this. So I really, really hope you have enjoyed this. I'm so, so excited about what's going to come with our program that we're creating, the Facebook or, or the community that we're going to be creating and the supplement range as well as that we're going to be creating. You know, this is only, it's an exciting time in history, you know, for so much change coming with menopause. It's about time that there's so much change happening. Unfortunately, it's going to take a long time, you know, to change things in the medical professional industry, you know, maybe legislation, things in government, all that kind of jazz. It's going to take a long time for that to happen, but we can change so much with like the little conversations, you know, with opening up with each other, without judging anybody about their experience and what they're going through, you know, really changing this narrative that, you know what, if we're going to be in something for a third of our life, let's make it amazing. Let's have goals. Let's, let's thrive in this time. Let's reset, restart, really own this time period in our life. It is not a time when the body is starting to feel and starting to be less valuable. It is not that at all. This is such a normal time in your life. It might be a time, you know, that you've actually got more time for you now. Um, maybe not, but maybe for summer as the years go on. But it is a time period we're going to be in for a long time. So we may as well thrive in it. So ladies, let's talk about it. Nothing to be ashamed about. Let's keep creating really open, honest, non-judgmental conversation about it. Thank you so much for listening. I really would love to know um, your thoughts on this. There will be very many more conversations to be had. You know, we are, we have already recruited, you know, moderators for our groups who are in the period of postmenopause experience. So they'll be able to share all their different experiences in that. We are currently um, reaching out to worldwide leading experts in menopause. So that you're going to have that support as well. But we are all here together to help you guys. We love you guys. We love our Sculpted Vegan community. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you soon again. Lots of love.